Welcome to Straight Talk from the Sober Chicks at Insight Counseling. I'm here with Liz Jorgensen, my friend and co-worker and colleague and mentor and person I worship. Oh, shut <laughs> right now. And Wait, that's the whole theme. Don't worship me. Yes. That's in our theme today because what's our topic today, Sarah Allen Benton? Take what you like and leave the rest. The buffet theory of a of addiction recovery treatment and, and healing. recovering. Yes. Because what do we get a little bit, I get a little hot under the collar, I'm not going to lie, about anybody in 12 steps, treatment, uh, even in spiritual practices who presents themselves or their little list of whatever it is that they're selling as the only the cure. way, as the cure. So... I, like, could you describe the buffet, please? Because I'm a little hungry. The buffet. So, you know what? There's a <laughs> lot of food out there. There's a lot of good food. There's a lot of bad food. There's a lot of junk food. There's a lot of health food. It's confusing. It's confusing. So this is a metaphor. So when people are in you know, self-help groups like 12-step AA, NA, Smart Recovery, um, Celebrate Recovery, whatever recovery... Float your boat. Kumbaya recovery. Yeah, you know, whatever floats your boat. Um, or therapy, a treatment center, treatment groups. DBT. 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 Dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, we could go on and on yeah, about yeah. all the different types of treatment. The problem is the rigidity of you have to do everything or it's just not going to work. Or the belief that everything is going to work for everyone. And that's part of why we believe in the buffet. Pick and choose what works for you. Be open to it, look at it. You don't have to ignore the buffet bar, right? You don't have to go halfway through it. Be open-minded, right? Learn what your therapist has to offer. Learn what 12 steps has to offer. Learn what meditation has to offer or dialectical behavior therapy, whatever it is. But some of it's not gonna work for you and that's okay. And you don't have to feel bad about that. And I think that what Liz, if I can't, if I'm speaking for you, but. Our frustration is around when there are certain people or certain forms of care that guilt you for not doing everything to the nth degree. Right. And especially with addictions, the irony in all of it is that it's about extremes, right? right? And we're trying to help people with moderation and balance. One of the things that I think of all the time is there's so many interpretations of conference 12-step literature that are false so okay. people in AA and and treatment providers who really believe in the 12 steps will completely they've basically turned some of the things in the conference approved literature so that would be for those of you who don't know like the big book of AA or 12 and 12 or there's living a, a pamphlet sober. called there's like medication and other Medicaid, drugs that's right. really there's helpful all this for fabulous literature and people will will make up stuff that isn't in there and say that this you have to do this to be sober where time or if you do this you're not sober or if you do this you're not sober exactly where time and time again the really the founders of the 12 step program which was AA at the time that was the first one Alan and I being the second one were really pretty wise and they kept doing a group consciousness of where the movement was going and they wrote into the literature very specifically, mm -hmm. take what you like and leave the rest. These are but suggested steps of recovery. There's not one fundamentalist statement, as far as what I've read. I mean, I have to reread some stuff. I mean, there's certain there's things There's a that couple things, like statements that are specific around, like, a really narrow, small thing. But not the whole program. Right, right, right. There's no... 
you know, you have you have to do this and nothing else. I mean, that's the other piece of it is Bill Wilson's in the literature is encouraging people. If you have outside issues, go seek outside go help. See Please, we go are see not we're right. not therapists here, and right. no one in this program should be pretending they are. Right. So, and yeah. also, no one in the program um, has the answer to anyone else's sobriety. So, for example, yeah. the way I was taught and the way I've learned and the way I try to help people in twelve steps is, hey, well, this is what worked for me. Like, you know what? It really worked for me to not hang out in the same bars in New Haven where I always got drunk and got kicked out. You know, I'm just saying. I didn't. That well, might I didn't follow. You. I didn't follow that suggestion. Yeah, well, okay. But I say it's over. But you say it's well. Okay. So see. No. See? This was but an example. I did my. I had to do it my own way. And I'm, I never recommended to anyone, but I needed to bore myself to death. Right. Okay. That's I like that. So you had to like read. I, I went to meetings and then I went out to the bars with people and didn't drink for about eight months, nine months, and got bored. There you go. I don't recommend it. And see if but you. But that had, was my experience. If you had been in certain treatment centers or sh- like I used to work at certain places that I don't work anymore. Where somebody might be kicked out of group for saying, I'm right. going to still go to the bar this weekend. Where I say, the only way to permanent wisdom and a permanent lesson that's in my heart, that's mm. in my mind, that can't be undone, is if through my own experience, experience I know that it's true. Buddha said that. Buddha said, as his scribes wrote down, that he kept saying, you have to test out everything I'm saying. And if it doesn't resonate with your own innate sense and mm-hmm. your intuition and your own reality and perception don't follow it and and so many people i feel could be turned off from healing and recovery that's what kind of breaks my heart but i think it's a human quality that comes up over and over again and not just in recovery and healing circles but in churches and in politics and whatever else it's when people get so attached to an idea that they are their minds close or or they get so attached to what was helpful to them that their minds close to the possibility that that mm. other paths exist and other paths can be equally valid mm. and and I want to go back to your point which is I believe no one has a long-term recovery until they test out their own theories mm-hmm. and either they fail or they succeed and right. then that knowledge is integrated forever and I just want to hear what you think and and we've both been around the treatment field for a while, it's broken my heart a number of times when I've worked with people who really were very gifted mm-hmm. as treatment providers and then had some early really great success in helping people and then somehow just got too wrapped up yep. in their own way of doing things. Right. I've seen it where people have tried to monopolize a client in the sense that you know they don't want any other cook in the kitchen when sometimes there's such a thing as too many cooks, but you need, you know, a sous chef. Teams are always the best, especially with addictions. In fact, I don't want the responsibility of having to be the the sole person um, because I think it's more effective to have other people to sort of contain and, and help that client. But I've seen people sort of try to take the take the case on in a savior role. Yeah, oh and yeah, you so said it's it. an ego it's an ego driven intention versus what's best for this client or a financial gain. Um, and they motive. often go together, right. the ego and the financial. Right, interest. and I've That's seen right. I've seen and tried to work on a case, on cases where there's one provider that is trying to essentially monopolize and um, have that client turn to them and look to them for, as a guru, as in like a, a sense guru. to worship yeah, them. Yeah. I don't ever want like I intentionally don't want clients to become reliant on me, and I set things up for them and help them to set things up in their lives so they have other resources and supports. None of us is as smart as all of us. Mm. Hello. 
And I always think of this way. I always thought about this in raising my own children. I want them to be really self-sufficient and have a lot of other healthy adults in their life. Because what if I drop that? If I'm the only one that can help them, what if I'm not available? I mean, that's a little morbid. I wouldn't say that to one of my clients. No, I wouldn't be but like, what if I'm not hey, available? I want you to go to AA in case I drop dead. But I don't, when a client, and that's a natural phase in therapy often when people are enter into recovery, they want to worship the therapist. And in the old days, before we talked about counter-transference and idealization and grandiose love of the analysts and all that nonsense. But actually, a lot of that nonsense is true. There could be a phase in treatment where the the client wants to give the therapist credit for everything versus the therapist was the GPS and the emotional support and the client took the advice and went on the map. And then back to your point, maybe I've learned so many techniques and new things from my clients sometimes right. when they discover a new support group that helps them or they discover a form of meditation that supports them. And I just, I want to say to anyone who's listening to this, it's in their own early recovery Go with your own gut. If you've mm. been with a therapist for a period of time and it was helpful, but then suddenly your gut says it's not helpful anymore, listen to your gut. Helpful in the sense that there, it's becoming isolative or it's be, you're not being encouraged to seek outside resources. Because right. those are the things that really are in your community and that are going to, in the long run, sustain you. That is a really good thing to remember. Certain people, they're so involved in their own little piece maybe of of. A recovery package and then they believe that that piece is sufficient when clients start to worship one thing one right thing. not even just a person but I get concerned when people are like I'm doing you know two meetings a day every day and I love meetings and meetings and meetings and I'm just like uh oh red uh -oh. flag the more the better which is very like the attic thinking right like more 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 meetings uh, we've had that here with young people who discover meditation and all of a sudden they're meditating like three times an hour and they're not doing anything. They're not leaving their apartment. They're not, they have no job. I'm like, dude, the Buddha would say, get the hell out of your apartment and get a job. You come back because we need to keep be in recovery to go back into life. Sarah. But it's the extreme anything that was the problem in the first place with the addiction. Thank so you. the solution isn't, isn't like an extreme anything. It's balanced. So I, I don't know. I Sometimes I find myself, I sit there in therapy sessions talking with clients about underperforming 90 and 90 is that if that's gonna meetings if that's gonna lead you to zero and zero I don't want to hear about it like that's not a good plan a good plan is what and you're you know gonna actually, do do you know where the tradition of 1990 actually came from no is that history from the blast from the past before there were any treatments 90 centers, meetings or there was in like 90 days 90 meetings in 90 AA or NA meetings in 90 days when there were only like three treatment centers in the entire United States chit chat farms which is Karen now um, High Watch and Hazleton, I think, yeah. And then there were a couple, like, dry-out retreats and stuff. When there was no treatment, the, and this was, like, in the 50s, you know, 40s and 50s, when AA was really, like, catching fire and, and other 12-step programs were beginning, 1990 was, like, instead of treatment because basically people sense. didn't have anything else. So, like, every day, at least find an hour to be with other recovering people, like, whatever. Like, hello, well, that makes a little bit of sense. And I'm not saying it's bad to do 1990, but it's not this. I have clients who are told... By after treatment, though. After treatment, like. But they oh, work full. They like, work quite a bit. They want to exercise. They want to go do a spiritual thing. They want to. They have all these other things for their recovery that quote unquote count, and they're talking themselves out of it because they feel like I didn't do a good enough job at my recovery program because I didn't get to a meeting today. When you have to figure out, I always tell them, figure out your magic number. Figure out the number of meetings that is works for you. that works for you that you feel balanced. And you'll know because you'll feel like crap if you'd go fewer than that. And then what about the other pieces? 
there's more to life than just sitting in the, the halls of 12-step meetings. Again, early sobriety is a little different. It's like a full-time job, and I was exhausted for myself and bored of myself in the beginning. It was like, enough about me. And you know what's so weird? You and I love 12-step. It's well, The funny thing about this conversation is you and I, right, personally, we really like 12-steps. and I am In moderation. In moderation. So I think it's so easy for people to... I just don't want people to misinterpret what we're saying as A-A-N-A, whatever your A is is valuable and precious. But or smart be, recovery, whatever or smart it is. Recovery, like but how, if it becomes just... a fundamentalist focus, or if people in the rooms tell you, oh, you're feeling depressed, you're doing that, you need to do a 90-90. Right. You need to do another fourth step. And maybe really? you need what to see a therapist and about? address your underlying anxiety and depression issues. Like, but I have a lovely adult client right now who's been trying to be sober for many years in AA, has gone to four different more spiritual slash 12-step oriented treatment centers, not necessarily like a dual diagnosis mm-hmm. treatment center. Do, and they kept telling them, do a 90-90, do this, do this, do this. Well, it turns out within the first two-hour intake, and we do two hours for intakes here at Insight, it turns out this man has been struggling with a severe anxiety disorder from when he can first remember, which was probably five or six years old. It was never identified. People in AA weren't going to identify it because they're not mental health practitioners. And they he needs try. treatment for his anxiety. He actually burst into tears saying, oh, I thought it was just because I can't get the program. I thought I was one of those unfortunate. So, you know, in the first, yeah. how it works, oh, there are such unfortunates. I'm like, no, dude, you have a severe anxiety disorder with panic attacks, and AA doesn't treat that. You need this, that, the other, boom, boom, boom. Like three weeks later, I mean, his anxiety is like 50% better. He's just fine with his sobriety as the first time that he's had three it's weeks probably of sobriety. Working. The, the suggestions are probably working a lot better now that he's got the anxiety piece Thank you control. that he's not having a panic attack in the AA meeting. Everyone has their own path and journey. And not using that as a rationalization to go back out and use. But you know what? If you break the quote-unquote suggestions in AA or NA or that your therapist gives you or whoever. And you do screw up. As long as you have an open mind to analyze how you screwed up, what yeah, a that's permanent lesson. What a permanent lesson. Yes. It, it's not anyone else's wisdom then. It is my wisdom. If I cross a line, and that's why we say often to our young adult clients who are not willing to try abstinence, okay, make a set of rules for yourself for next time Depending you on the out. drug. Depending on the drug. We don't say that for heroin, obviously, or opiates. Yeah, no, Sorry. no. Make a set of rules for yourself and then try it out. And what do we find about 95% of the time? What do our clients do? They break do? their own rules. They break their own rules. And then they have their own aha mo- moment. It didn't come from Guru Liz or Guru Sarah or any or even 12 Steps or anything else. They have their own moment where they go, oh, I made my own goals, my own rules. And then I broke it and started drinking vodka, even though vodka is always, or whatever, whatever it is. And we have found that time and time again. So take, take what, you, what like you like from this from podcast. A, yes, you may not you may disagree. You can just you know what's cool about the podcast? Just turn it off if it's pissing you off, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then you haven't gotten to this point yet if, if you already turned it off. Anyway, we want you to remember from Straight Talk from the Sober Chicks to please take your recovery very seriously. But not yourselves too seriously. <laughs>